Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. You can't get rid of us. We're back again for another episode of Triple Threat Theater. This is episode seven, and my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. And this time we're here to talk about, uh, well, the episode title, the title for the theme we ended up with is Role Models. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I watched these movies and saw all of the similarities between them, I'm more tempted to call them shitty dads. <laughs> Uh yeah, I'm I wouldn't battle you on that one. <laughs> yeah, you originally I think you pitched this one to me. Mm-hmm. I think with the title Fathers and Sons. Correct. And at some point for some reason the title changed, but um man, it really does feel like, you know, I've seen a ton of movies like the ones we're going to discuss, but then you watch a couple of them back to back to back and man, the similarities just start popping up everywhere and it begins to feel really formulaic even if it's a movie that you really like (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's uh it's funny because i almost want to say like this is technically like our most obscure theme in that the three movies surface level are so different maybe but but then uh i mean we have i would say three different genres (laughs) yes but I guess let's just go ahead and say, um, please let's do the films we are doing in chronological order are over the top, uh, which should please at least one of our listeners who I know is a big fan of this mm-hmm. movie. Nineteen eighty six Stallone vehicle, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, Road to Perdition, Tom Hanks vehicle, mm-hmm. and Real Steel, Hugh Jackman vehicle. Yep. Yeah, just I, like I said, there's so many of these kind of movies out there. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, I don't know how you ended up on these three, but it is a diverse <laughs> group to be sure. As always, I feel, plus we have so many uh, upcoming episodes that uh, you kind of forget the the details of how these things came about. Because mm-hmm. it's not like I watched one of those recently. I mean, I've seen Over the Top a lot. Well, I've seen all three of them before. I had as well seen all of these before. But I think just in our, our kind of normal... Uh, grind of coming up with episode ideas it just came to me and you know i feel like what normally happens is i mean every now and then i'll be like i really want to do a movie and then i'll try and think of two others to match it with but more more often than not i think two movies will just pop into my head where i'm like oh there's a similarity what's the third one i can throw at them right right however that worked out for this one same deal because like you said they are very similar Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we could even call this one "Shitty Dads, Dead Moms." <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, all all many things in common across all three. Wow, yeah, they are dead in all three, aren't they? Hmm. Hmm. It's almost the same scenario. Yeah, that's why I say like you'd be watching it. And it's just like wow, this is extremely similar. 
I mean, we'll get into it, but <laughs> just to preface right now, we'll get into it. But I mean, just because over the top came first, mm-hmm. you you could say that they just added robots and made real steel. <laughs> Pretty much. Although real steel, actually, I, I don't know how close it is to the original story, but the one technically written first, in a manner of speaking. Oh, this was a... Uh, it's based on a Richard that? Matheson's short story mm. from like some old science fiction magazine that got turned into an episode of The Twilight Zone in the 60s. Damn. If only we'd done some more research on it. Yeah, I'll tell you this. like, I, I knew that like back when Real Steel came out in 2011. I remember hearing about that, um, but watching it now and like knowing that we were going to review it and record a podcast about it, I, I really wish that I had you know, had the wherewithal to track down that episode of the twilight zone and watch it just to see, I'm sure it's nothing like this movie. Right. Like I would almost bet that the idea of robot boxing is there and everything else, like the whole father son storyline and everything was made up just for this movie. But I mean, it's probably like two guys painted gray that are boxers. (laughs) We're in like trash cans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I, I wish that I had, taken the time to look that up but um well as the great philip j fry is known to say time makes fools of us all <laughs> right i mean if we ever do the uh i don't know revisit episode or something <laughs> like that you know we'll uh the director's cut of something i don't know season one whatever you know what i mean yeah who knows if we'll ever get there because as it is we already have like 130 something episodes sure. planned to still record but <laughs> It wouldn't be us if there wasn't some wishful thinking yeah, here. Yeah, true. No, we are great at that. Mm-hmm. It's just the actual, you know, final <laughs> yeah, touch execution. of getting things done that <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that uh that evades us most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um well, I'll say this, it, it, I thought of this watching these movies because um you know, I I, I still go, as you know, if you listen to the Sidetracked podcast or if you just know me, but um, I still go to the movies with my dad all the time. And, um, right. you know, my dad and I have a pretty good relationship, kind of interesting in ways. But uh, mm-hmm. one of the few things we do do together is go to the movies. And I'll say that there are not even movies that are about like father and son combos like this. Like these are a very specific kind of movie where it's like about the the father and the son like reconnecting or finding a connection or whatever and like bonding and coming to an understanding or whatever. Um, But there are a lot of movies out there that have that element of like, you know, the father looking up to the, or the son looking up to the father or like, you know, the father appreciating the son and like these moments of like, you know, heartfelt, realizations and recollections mm-hmm. and whatever a lot of like fathers dying and sons being broken up about it or like you know uh like a child's entire life being like revolving around like some lesson that their father taught them and i always oh, yeah. get this weird feeling because that is a thing that pops up in a ton of movies something you probably don't realize unless like i find myself in the situation where i'm in the theater watching a movie with my dad and we're sitting there next to each other watching like this sequence or this scene in a movie of like a parent and child bonding or like the death of a father and a kid trying (laughs) to get revenge for it or something. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm just sitting there thinking like, well, this just makes me feel like a shitty son. (laughs) Like it's, it's like that. It's almost like that, that moment when like you're watching a movie 
with a parent and like there's a nude scene or something and all of a sudden there's this like perceived awkwardness in the room that probably isn't really yeah. there and it's all up in your head. It's kind of uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Where I'll have this sudden awkward feeling of like, oh, I wonder if he's thinking about how disappointing right. I am the same way I am <laughs> right now. <laughs> but with all the father-son shit in these three movies, of course I was thinking about that a lot, even though I was watching them alone. Uh-huh. Just another little nice. deep dive into my psyche there. I feel like every <laughs> episode of this show, we learn something new and unusual about me for yeah, some reason. You know, just, it, it could be therapeutic. Maybe. It's like you're sitting on the couch, just, uh, you know, talking, talking about life and movies. Maybe we'll figure out what's wrong with me by the time we get to episode 100. <laughs> Jesse hasn't been able to crack it in going no. on 500 episodes of Sidetrack, though, so I don't know what your chances are. I'll tell you, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> just let it happen. I'm just going to let this train keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, any anything else you want to touch on before we dive right in, get to the first review? Um, No, I think we're ready. All right. Uh, as per usual, we'll go in chronological order. Yes, please. Which, uh, depending on your outlook on this show, that could mean that we're starting strong and everything mm-hmm. will be downhill from here. But, hey, who knows? Uh, so, Over the Top, 1987, I believe? Mm-hmm. Yes, 87. What are you trying to do? All you wanted to do was embarrass me. Well, you did it, Okay. Grandfather always said you were a loser. Now you're trying to make me one, and I hate you for it. Mike, I don't care what your grandfather thinks about me, okay? All I care about is you. Now, you lost back there because you beat yourself. You let yourself get beat. I know you can do it. You're a special kid. You're my boy, do you understand? But you're also a spoiled, rich brat who's always had everything done for him. Now it's time to do for yourself, Mike, and you can do it. Because I'm telling you, the world meets nobody halfway. Do you understand what that means? If you want it, Mike, you got to take it. Do you hear me? You got to take it. Go in there and try. I know you can win. But even if you don't, so what? So you lose. As long as you lose, like a winner, it doesn't matter. Because you did it with dignity. I'm telling you, if you don't go in there, you're going to be sorry. You're going to regret it your whole life. You know what I mean? I know you can do it. Will you do it for me? Come on. Let's count. A canon film. Correct. Uh, actually, now here's the thing. Like, I, I watched the canon films documentary. Um, mm, as did I. And uh, I think I've only seen it the one time, but I really liked it. It's chock full of information, and it's just like a fun trip down memory lane with like lots of old cheesy movies and stuff. And I am very familiar with uh, Menahem... Golan and Yoram Globus, the brothers who founded the company. The two best names in all of showbiz history. Yeah, and I'm sure I knew this because I watched the documentary, but I had forgotten because it's been a couple years since I'd seen it. I I didn't actually recall that either of those guys were actually directors. But Menahem Golan actually directed... This movie was directed by Golan of Golan right. Globus. Right. I I mean, growing up, we must have talked about this before, but growing up, I mean, Canon films were everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, children of the eighties, you've seen that logo countless times. Yeah. Um, I've And seen, when you're a kid, you oh, probably don't even realize that they're typically like corny or lower budget oh, movies. No, God, no. They're the best thing ever. Yeah. You see that fucking badass like Chrome logo come up on screen and you're mm-hmm. just like, you know, I, this just as good as Warner brothers or Fox for me. Right. Cause I think, um, friend of the show, uh, Joel Olar, 
who also a big fan of Over the Top, I want to say he told me about maybe bef- he might have seen the documentary before I saw it. And he kind of told me like all the just basic things I never knew about Over the Top. Its connection to canon. I, I could be wrong. Did it bankrupt canon films in the end? This movie? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay, I just I didn't know if I was making that in my head. I just know that, or maybe it was they spent the most money ever because they had to pay Stallone so much. Well, I did read that uh, Stallone got 12 mil for making this movie, which does sound high for canon films. Mills, that's a lot. That's a lot for 87 regardless, I think. And I will also say that going right along with that information, uh, this movie, when it came out in theaters, it opened fourth behind Mannequin, Platoon, and something called Outrageous Fortune with Bette Midler and George Carlin. (laughs) Oh, which I'd never down. heard of. <laughs> Let's write that down for a future episode. <laughs> the uh, the poster is Shelley Long and Bette Midler, like uh, like a painting of them hanging off the edge of a cliff. So I am of curious. Course. All right, all right, noted. But that that is kind of a bad sign that it a Stallone vehicle. Right. Um. And it, this was like you know heyday for him, like mid Rocky and Rambo franchises. I mean, I guess it yeah. might have been like the later days of the Rocky franchise, and I think it—I think this was the movie that came out right after Rambo Three for him. So he might kind of—he might have kind of been on the decline there, but um, still, to open fourth behind Mannequin—that's yeah. <laughs> rough. Just a quick check. I think Rambo Three came out after this. Oh, did it? I thought this was yeah. between Rambo Three and Cobra, at least according to Wikipedia. Which Rainbow not a bad little block of films if if that's Rainbow true. Rainbow Three was eighty eight, so oh okay, just a year before. But yeah, so just right in the right in the midst of things, I mean, Rocky Four was Rocky Four was eighty five, so a couple years before. Yeah, and then Rocky Rocky Five was late, maybe even early nineties. Like so I say, was, this may have been kind of the the uh, the decline of Stallone. Right. Like he was probably you know pumping like early in the 80s late sure, 70s sure. early 80s well that or people saw the trailer and no one knew what to think of aggressive uh truck stop arm wrestling <laughs> i would think that in the 80s like people would just see that trailer and see stallone and think yeah i mean i need to see this but maybe i'm wrong maybe people just didn't realize the treasure they had at their fingertips back then i agree completely (laughs) uh stallone wrote this or co-wrote this yeah with someone named sterling siliphant yes which is a fantastic name if i've ever heard one sounds like he's like you know dipped in silver or something like a bond villain yeah I noticed that name as well. I made note of that. I was like, that's a hearty name. That's a strong name, mm-hmm. Sterling. Sterling. And not even, like, I feel like Sterling with an E is like a name. Like, there was a character named Sterling, Mr. Sterling, I think, on uh, Mad Men. And I may be wrong, but I think mm-hmm. his name had an E. But Sterling with an I is even weirder for some reason to me. <laughs> yes. Like, a, that sounds like a... Uh... Witness protection. <laughs> hey, maybe he was in witness protection. <laughs> Who knows? Starting, starting the fan fiction of over the top's creation. <laughs> I'm sure it's not the first. Right. But uh, yeah. So yeah, like you said, co-written by Stallone. Um, Give the people a quick synopsis, Mills. 
it's weird because the two plots almost seem to have nothing to do with one another. Mm-hmm. Basically, Stallone has a 12-year-old son who has been raised by his mother and by the the, the kid's mother and uh, his wealthy grandfather who hates Stallone for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's weird to me. I had seen this before, but rewatching it, I'd forgotten that there's never really any actual explanation for why Stallone left, like abandoned his wife and son. There's one like throwaway line by Stallone that he said, I think, uh, the masterful Robert Loggia, who's the grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, says that he drove them apart. Yeah. So whatever that means. I just like the kid asks a couple times and he always just says like, I made a mistake, you know, I made a mistake. He never <laughs> says like an exact reason or anything. And the kid even calls him out and is like, that's not an answer. And he's like, it's all the answer I got. I made a mistake. Right. But so basically for the past 12 years, uh, he has just been a truck driver. I don't know if he always was, but he's a long haul trucker and, um, his wife is dying. Uh, they never say of what. I think don't, they say she was like going to have open heart, heart surgery, I guess, yeah. at one point. Some kind of heart ailment. And so like on her deathbed, she decides that, uh, you know, her son doesn't know who his father is at all. And that probably once she's gone, he'll never have a chance to get to know him because her father dislikes him so much. So she contacts Stallone and is like, hey. I, I want you to come see me in the hospital and I want you to pick up our son and bring him here with you just so that you can like get to know him because you, you really don't know him at all. So that's one plot where like it's almost like a struggle where Stallone is getting to know his kid and mm-hmm. wants to be a part of his life. But the kid's grandfather hates him and he's got all the money and like wants to raise the kid and like the lap of luxury. But then there's this other plot that honestly feels almost like it's shoehorned in because there's really only two arm wrestling scenes in the movie. Well, three, I guess, because of the one where Stallone makes his son arm wrestle a random other kid in like a roadside (laughs) slop house. (laughs) (laughs) Truck stop living. Yeah, there's one quick arm wrestling scene in the beginning to establish that Stallone arm wrestles. Right. That there's an underground arm wrestling circuit yeah. across America. And then it's not underground. I mean, they have a fucking world championship well, in Las Vegas. <laughs> I mean, well, they have that, but so much that it's, uh, you know, anyone's looking for some uh, some quick scratch. Some action yeah. in the, yeah. Just find a truck stop and you can make some money arm wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's really that scene and then the one at the end, which is like the big climax of the movie. But with that one other scene in the middle where uh, Stallone just picks... A random kid who looks like he's a good, like, seven years older than his son. And mm-hmm. the son, there's no way that's, that his son should have been able to beat that kid just by the look of no. him, in my opinion. I mean, the kid is the kid is straight, like, 1987 hood trash. Yeah. Like, looks like he, like, cr- a couple years earlier, easily could have been played by um, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, uh... So, yeah, so the whole movie is, like, Stallone driving across the country to get to his wife in the hospital. And uh, then there's just this, like, light touch in the background of there's a arm wrestling championship, like, world championship in Las Vegas that he's going to go to. But it's not Mm -hmm. even like there's this countdown of, like, oh, we got three days until the tournament or whatever. It's just the information is kind of out there that it's there. And then the movie right. just kind of finds its way there casually at the end for the big climax. 
but mm-hmm. it is weird that like like do you agree like this time i got the feeling that you know the actual crux of the story the majority of the screen time is about the relationship between stallone and his son and like at the end everyone's rooting for stallone to beat um bull hurley bull hurley yeah in the like the final round of this like arm wrestling championship and the entire final like 20 minutes is this tournament which is fine and good but like at the end he wins and everyone's cheering and there's that moment like where the grandfather shows up because the kid which is this is fantastic um the 12 year old kid has stolen a truck from his grandfather <laughs> driven to the airport somehow like the 80s was the fucking wild west apparently somehow got on a flight by himself found his way in vegas and then got to the casino or wherever the uh the tournament was taking place and then like finds his way inside and his ringside and the grandfather and a bunch of his cronies chase him there and so like mm-hmm. the grandfather finds the kid in the audience like right next to the ring as the final bout is about to go down between stallone and bull hurley and the kid's like cheering and the grandfather says like as soon as this round is over we're out of here like i don't know why they de- why he decided to stay and then they kept cutting to the grandfather as though there was some bet where Stallone was like, if I win this championship, then I get to keep the kid. Because they kept like cutting back to the grandfather. And like when Stallone wins, the grandfather like kind of looks down like he's kicking the dirt saying like, darn, I lost the kid. And then Stallone has like the kid hoisted up on his shoulder. But like, is it weird that it feels like the kid being with Stallone is riding on his victory? Because it's not well, really is, at all. Well, 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 the grandfather tried to pay him off. Mm-hmm. Remember that part? So I, th- I just think it was like the grandfather is like if he, if Stallone wins, he wins all that money in the truck. Mm-hmm. Then he doesn't need the grand like the grandfather. You know, can't hold money over his head. But didn't he already? I mean, a um. So Stallone put down it was what twenty to one odds, and he put seven grand down. Mm-hmm. So that's a decent chunk of change. And I think they say that winning the tournament, you would get like 250,000 or 200,000, something like that. I remember it being a, you know, significant. Yeah. And then truck. like you also win a truck because like all arm wrestling competitors are truckers and oh, would truck want drivers. a fucking yeah. truck for some reason, which was weird to me. <laughs> I mean, that's super convenient that Stallone has to sell his truck to get the money to place the bet on himself. Mm-hmm. And one of the prizes is a truck. <laughs> um, that's weird. But like, so, okay. So Stallone, what are we saying? He, 500 grand, maybe he wins from this whole thing. Yeah. Something like that, which is about sure. what the grandfather offered. But like the grandfather seems stupid rich. He lives in like this fancy ass mansion and has like a billion oh, yeah. assholes working for him and Mm-hmm. You're telling me that the grandfather wouldn't still feel confident that if they went into court, he could still beat Stallone, like with all the money he can throw around in his lawyers, when Stallone basically would have a five hundred thousand dollar ish cap. And also, they say that when Stallone was in prison, he signed over the like the rights to the kid or whatever. Like, yeah, but then maybe that's why they put in that they put in that scene with the the lawyer and the grandfather telling him like, oh, you'd never. You'd never win custody of him if the father's around. But that was before. That that was before they made the deal in prison. Like, that was earlier in the movie. And well, when the dude comes to him in prison, they basically say, like, we want you to leave the state. 
and then we won't press charges. He, they basically just want him out of their lives. And Stallone mm-hmm. agrees, which I would think would just be a gentleman's agreement, like you stay out of the state. But then they, he actually says, like, should I start writing up the paperwork? Which, mm. is that like a legal document? Did they get some kind of restraining order? Or was it just something where, like, it was a gentleman's agreement and they could show it in court and say, like, look, he promised. But, like, would that hold up in court? But then I swear that there's a part later on, maybe when they're having that meeting up in the the hotel room during the tournament, where uh, I think the grandfather says that Stallone, like, signed over custody of the kid. I'm, maybe I'm misremembering that, but if he signed over custody, then like, that's it. You've given up custody. Like, I don't know. It it just, it, it felt like the whole ending of the movie, like the whole crux of the film with the kid in the relationship with Stallone was reliant on that, that last arm wrestling bout mm-hmm. when it really, I don't think did. And it was just like, it felt like they were just kind of like lying to the audience and <laughs> Like making it feel like it all mattered when really the arm wrestling stuff seems to have no importance to anything in the movie aside from like a reason to have a tournament style ending. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've seen this movie dozens of times. Uh, This is literally my second time seeing it. uh, Up until this point, I never really thought too much into all the legal aspects of Over the Top. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that the way it's directed is like... By the end of the movie, you're not even thinking about what it all means. And just the way it's filmed and, like, the the disappointed, like, defeated look that the grandfather gives when Stallone wins and Stallone with the kid up on his shoulder in the middle of the ring, I think that that's all meant to make it feel like the tournament matters for some reason when really it doesn't. <laughs> well, all I can think of, this is... Don't get me wrong, you, you bring up plenty of good points. All I can think of is... Because definitely when he goes up to like the suite, so he goes, the grandfather brings Stallone up to the presidential suite mm-hmm. before the finals to offer him again, like, was it a, tr- a, a one of his trucks in 500? Yeah, he offers him a truck but, and a check for $500,000. But at that point, he did already sign over the custody. I, they right have there. a line where he said, I'm pretty sure he says that he signed over the custody, even yeah, though no, that's, that's not what. The secret. It wasn't even a lawyer. The secretary and him talked about in prison. Okay, so at least that did happen. All I can think of is throughout. You know, multiple times, um, Robert Loggia that that gravelly voice of him calling gravelly voice of his calling Stallone a loser mm-hmm. multiple no multiple times. All I can think of is all the offer was there. Things were signed. Maybe based on his reaction at the end, once Stallone showed he was a winner and now could provide, maybe he was okay. Yeah, I'm maybe was, like on a just like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a tonal level, like not like actual physical proof, but just like a hey, he's yeah. proved that he can make yeah. money arm wrestling, even though that's like not a reliable source of income. Like, I, I guess that that's, that's possible, but that's all that's, that's what I could sprinkle on it to make some sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, then it, see, I'm confused and I, I just watched the movie and I'm, I don't recall if they're actually, I'm pretty sure there was that line about uh, the custody when they were up in the presidential suite. There's also a line where Stallone is walking away after he said, like, I don't want your money. 
and the grandfather says, um, like, you're going back on your word or whatever, which mm-hmm. sounds more like what they were talking about in the prison when it sounded like they were making a gentleman's agreement, just like, I'll leave the state and you won't press charges. But then if the custody thing is actually there, then that's not just going back on your word. Like, there's actually paperwork involved. I don't really know. Like, it's probably not worth thinking about too much. But, like, I I guess my my original point was just the arm wrestling itself really doesn't feel like it has anything to do with the plot of the movie. Well, I mean... I don't mind it being there because I enjoy it and it's goofy and, like... One of my favorite parts of the movie, if not my favorite part, is the whole ending with the the, ch- the tournament because I just love the way it's shot with all the fucking like lens flares and streaks oh, yeah. of light and just like the crazy, crazy close ups and crazy angles, yeah, crazy characters, the crazy and the music. music and just yeah, just the facial expressions everyone's giving and all that stuff. Like I just love how excessive it all is. All right, I mean to me. I mean, I can't. I can't say that it's like inconsequential to the plot, just because. Don't get me wrong. You could probably put in like any kind of skill, or you know, it's not really a MacGuffin, but whatever Stallone can do outside of just being a trucker. Mm-hmm. But I mean, definitely. I mean, it's in the movie enough. I mean, he uses that as like a bonding tool when he beats that scrub kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I know what you mean, but it's. I as far as I I know what you mean because it's more like the plot of the movie as far as the family aspect of it up until the very end that that would all progress regardless of what's going on with the arm wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I mean I guess I see from that point. Yeah, I'm I, in my head right now. I'm even trying to compare it. I know we haven't gotten to Real Steel yet, but like in Real Steel, you know, it's similar. It's about boxing, and even I think you even said earlier that you know. This is almost like a boxing movie, but with arm wrestling Mm -hmm. instead. But like in that case, the whole movie focuses around boxing and like they're training together and they're building the robot together. And um, like at the end, Hugh Jackman comes and like asks the the aunt who he has in that movie signed custody over to for sure. If like the kid can come and be with him, like the whole thing revolves around boxing. But in sure. this case, it's like if you took out the fact that Stallone arm wrestles, you'd still have the entire plot. Like the arm wrestling yeah, doesn't no, feel I, important to anything. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, the, the the plot, the family plot would have carried on regardless of the arm wrestling. But yeah, the arm wrestling it does is take just up a, a lot of screen. Fantastically, pun intended, over the top flavor added. <laughs> yeah, which and don't get me wrong. I'll take that over the top flavor. Yeah. I love I'm not really disparaging any of this. I'm just saying it's like something I noticed when I watched it this time where I was like, this is completely inconsequential whether he or not he wins this thing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all, like I said, all, all I can think of is him winning and getting the money in the eyes of the grandfather makes him like suddenly worthy. Plus, yeah. the son wants to be with his dad now. Yeah. I guess. But- like what would fix it for me, and I'm kind of surprised this scene isn't in the movie, <laughs> is when the grandfather calls him up to the the presidential suite and Stallone turns him down. If the grandfather had been like, "You're you know you've always been a loser. You're good for nothing. You've never won anything in your life." Like I don't, right. I bet you'll lose this tournament. And then they, mm. if they made a bet, like, "All right, if I lose, then I'll leave yeah. and I'll no, never true. come back. But if I win." 
then I get the kid. Like, I if that if they had put that little dialogue in there, like that would have mm-hmm. taken away all of my hesitations about the rest of it. It's kind of weird to me that they didn't actually. Now that I think about it, because this movie yeah, is totally I mean, on that kind of level. Because <laughs> it seems like that would have been an easy fix, probably maybe just to a, a problem that was never posed while the movie was being made. Yeah, you know, people just kind of went with how it is. I mean, it's kind of a obscure kind of left up in the air resolution mm-hmm. as far as it's never like the grandfather never comes to Stallone and says, you know, like you know what, you're all right. Yeah. You can take them. You know, it's even surprising, enjoy, like, enjoy. you know, when they're in the ring, um, they're celebrating, and he's got his kid up on his shoulder, and the kid's holding up the, uh, the the trophy that he won, and it freeze frames. And that would have been, a, like, a perfect place to cut it and not have any more questions. Like, you'd have that right. lingering question, but there would be, you didn't need to touch on anything else. But then it fades out of the freeze frame to them, like, walking out to his brand new truck that he's won and driving away. Which does mm-hmm. then make you wonder, well, why the fuck is the kid with him now? Like, did the grandfather just give up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's they leave that very open. But yeah, I mean, it's weird that they freeze frame and then they cut away from the freeze frame and end the movie like one minute later. Like, if they had just stuck with the freeze frame, I think that might have even been better off. But I don't know. Whatever. Mm. <laughs> Coming well, into this review, I wasn't expecting to be so critical of over the top. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone has ever been this critical of over the top, but hey, that's what we're here for, Mills. Yeah. To bring the, we bring that new angle. Um, can I say, well, like I said already, I've seen this movie dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Um, is this Stallone's first appearance on Triple Threat Theater? I believe, I believe so, yeah. Um, Unless he had a small part in Ghoulies that I'm unaware of. <laughs> I wish. Um so if it comes up more, but growing up, my mother loved Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. So at a very young age, I've seen plenty of Stallone vehicles. This was one of them. Plus, my father was a truck driver. So oh. it was just all all things coincided. He was just like a local sand and gravel uh, hauler. He wasn't a big rig cross-country trucker mm-hmm. like uh, Hawks here. <laughs> So there was that. I mean, the Rocky movies, Rambo. I mean, anything. She was a big Stallone fan. It's definitely Rocky. I've seen Rocky Four is possibly the movie I've seen in like top three to top ten movies I've seen the most. <laughs> yeah, like repeated views. It's funny. But- I mean, I was a Schwarzenegger guy as a kid, you know, with a little bit of Van Damme on the side, and you know, a healthy dose of Jackie Chan. Stallone, you know. When I got older and, like, I became interested in just movies more so than anything, I I finally sat down and watched the Rocky movies not that long ago for the first time. Mm-hmm. I had never seen any of them in their entirety when I was younger. Um, the Rambo movies, I feel like I didn't see until I was out of high school at least. Oh, wow. I mean, I think the the earliest Stallone movies I saw, and they are not early at in the least, <laughs> were, like, probably Cliffhanger and Daylight. Oh, wow. Yeah. I used to watch Daylight. We had it on VHS. I used to watch that all the time. But, like, as a kid, I was not a Stallone guy. Like, I had some of the Rambo toys based on the TV show or the, the cartoon, but I never mm-hmm. I never saw those movies when I was a kid. Which is just fascinating, like, that, you know, Rambo toys, RoboCop toys, all these R-rated bloody-as-hell action movies were getting kids' toys back in the day. I love that. Still, to this day, I love it. 
Yeah, well, the one that still tops it all for me is the fucking uh, Toxic Avenger. The fact that that oh. got turned into a children's cartoon and I had the yeah. toys in the video game, like, uh-huh. will never cease to amaze me. But um, definitely. But yeah, Stallone I got in too late, and there's still some like probably semi key movies in his uh, oeuvre that I haven't seen. But oh, we might have to fix that then. Yeah, maybe. But uh, I've I've seen a fair number of them now. But yeah, he was not a standby for me and. I only saw over the top for the first time maybe like five years ago. Um, Jesse and I did it as a featured review on the Sidetracked podcast because we had Joel as a guest on that episode, and I knew that he loved it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So well, this is only my second I mean, time seeing it. I've known Joel um, 20 years at this point, so we've bonded over many things, especially over the top. But um, over the top for me is just... Like I said, it's it's you know it's a cross section of all these things in my life, and then I've just always found it entertaining. I think, actually, um, this got I don't know if anyone ever really saw this or it got zero traction, but I live tweeted a viewing of Over the Top. I seem to remember that probably uh, four years ago, maybe. And it was like some of the most fun I've ever had because the mo- <laughs> when you when you just point out little pieces of this movie, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of fun. I mean, just just from like the cast of characters, you know, when, with yeah. like some of the best villain names ever, like fellow trucker arm wrestlers, <laughs> yeah, like Bull Hurley, and uh, there's a guy who's like Grizzly something, yeah, John Grizzly and uh, Smasher, you know, yeah. Just the stuff they're wearing, the shit they're doing while they're arm wrestling is just, I love it. Yeah, I find the movie vastly entertaining. It's a quick, like, 90-minute or so Mm -hmm. movie. Um, It's light on plot, and it just kind of digs into the, like, the relationship between the father and son, the sentimentality, and then just a heaping helping of debatably needless action in the shape in the shape of arm right. wrestling but um right. yeah i don't know it's a it, you know it's very much a product of its time if a movie like this came out nowadays like i would oh. probably be way too critical of it but because it is from this certain era it's the glorious 80s man yeah um you know it's not top tier for me i don't have like super fond memories related right. to it like you or joel do but um yeah I'm never going to tell anybody that I don't like over the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a, you could say horrible or great soundtrack, depending on who <laughs> yeah. you ask. I did they see a like, little quote from Sylvester Stallone. I don't remember when the quote was from, but it was some time after the movie came out. And he said that if he were to make the movie again, that uh, he would use score instead of just constant, uh, like actual licensed music. Well, that and then like the theme song they use like in different arrangements throughout the movie too. Cause mm-hmm. you kind of always hear, I'm not sure. Cause there's a couple songs like made for the movie, but there's like familiar tune you hear throughout the movie in different ways. Mm-hmm. It comes up quite a lot. Well, what's so. that thing that he says to the kid? Uh, life, meet me halfway. Life man. never meets or, or, anyone. Yeah, halfway. Life will never meet. Life won't meet you halfway. Yeah. I think the song is called like, Meet, me, Meet halfway. me halfway or something, and it, mm-hmm. it plays in several different parts of the movie. Oh yeah, but this is a good or great example of like a time capsule '80s movie. 
Oh yeah, for and, sure. And not so much in like the 80s like uh John Hughes kind of teenage 80s but more of this mm-hmm. not even not not even an action movie. I guess I don't know if that's what you'd have to call it. Yeah. It's not a it's, it it's just the maybe. the tournament style ending makes it feel like an action movie and there's like a little chase scene here and there and all those tough guys like always they're puffing their chests out to Stallone but it feels like a stretch to call it an action movie but you probably have to. Yeah, it feels like that's probably where they would uh that's the, they would have put it on the action movie shelf in Blockbuster back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good call. There we go. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> it's a kind of easy way to determine yeah. what at least the popular consensus would yeah. probably be on what genre a movie is. That that that'll work for us in the future, I think. Where would you <laughs> find it in Blockbuster? Yeah. Probably, probably that will work out. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, anything else uh, to say about Over the Top before we move on? I I feel like we've covered it. Fair enough. Um, Second movie on the docket is Road to Perdition from 2002. Mm -hmm. You think I'd give up my son? He was betraying you. I know. Now listen to me. I tried to avoid more bloodshed. You wouldn't accept that, so I did what was necessary, but I've always loved you like a son, and now I'm telling you, leave before it's too late. Think. Think. Now they're protecting him now, but when you're gone, you're not gonna need him anymore. This ends with Connor dead, no matter what. That may be. But you are asking me to give you the key to his room so you can walk in. Put a gun to his head and pull the trigger, and I can't do that. He murdered Annie and Peter. There are only murderers in this room. Michael, open your eyes. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. Michael could. Then do everything that you can to see that that happens. Leave. I'm begging you. It's the only way. Uh, the second film directed by Sam Mendes coming off of American Beauty. Oh, interesting. And I found it interesting that, uh, like, so American Beauty, his first directorial effort, um, won Best Picture. It was, like, the biggest thing at the time. And I guess he kind of had his choice of projects after that, coming off that movie. And um, mm-hmm. apparently other scripts that he considered directing before he settled on this one were A Beautiful Mind, K-Pax, and The Lookout, which eventually starred uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jeff Daniels. Oh, yeah. I remember liking that movie. Yeah, same here. Uh, I've only ever seen it the once, but uh, same. might have to give it another look sometime. Mm-hmm. I may know just the podcast to do that for. <clears throat> oh, let me know what it is. I'll check it out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I don't think I had seen this in the theater. I don't recall seeing it in the theater anyway, but uh, definitely seen it. This is probably my second time seeing this one, too, if I had to guess. For, for me, for sure, as well. Yeah. This, um, I... Saw this the first time in the stretch of X amount of years where I would just buy movies sight unseen. Oh, I used to do just that to build too. up, you know, to build up the collection. Mm-hmm. 
I think I watched it the one time and then never watched it again. Yeah. And eventually sold it. <laughs> this is one of those ones like, and I, I think it will make sense when I say why, but I it like sticks in my head with a movie like A History of Violence, like where it's based on a, a comic book, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, obviously not a superhero comic book, but not even like a sci-fi or an action comic book. It's right. like a, a drama comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or a crime story. And uh, do, you, like, do you have any experience with the comic? No. I mean, yeah, I've, neither. you know, shuffled it around the shelves plenty of times at the store, but uh, okay. no, I've never actually read it. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, you know, when it when, when it came out, I feel like at the time, you know, there probably was an article or something about it in Wizard Magazine. But because it wasn't like an action or sci-fi or superhero movie, I really didn't pay much attention to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, did my due diligence at some point and watched it because, like, oh, it's a comic movie. And, you know, I think I'd heard that it was good, but, you know, it didn't leave a huge impact on me. And by the time it came uh, to watch it for this show, really, it's one of those movies where I only remembered, like, visuals. Like, oh, I remembered I remembered them on the beach at the end and, like, one or two other, like, images stuck in my mind, but... I, I didn't really remember a lot from my previous viewing. I just remembered it being dark a lot, or the whole movie. I just remember <laughs> it being dark and guns. Yeah, that was it. Uh, interesting little tidbit. Since you mentioned guns, um, I happened to read that uh, apparently Tom Hanks and the cinematographer came to Sam Mendes when they were getting started on the movie and asked that he keep the violence to a minimum, except for like scenes where it would be really impactful. Like, I guess, I, so I guess um, the comic came out in 98 from Paradox Press, which was part of DC Comics. Um, I don't know why it didn't come out from Vertigo. Uh, Paradox Press, I guess, was almost like their, Vertigo was like their adult readers line, and then Paradox Press was almost like their indie label where you wouldn't even necessarily know it was part of DC Comics, kind of like Icon back in the day with Marvel. Yeah, okay. Where it was just a place for like, people to come and do their like non comic booky comic books. Right. And I guess not long after the comic came out, Steven Spielberg got his hands on it and decided that he wanted his studio to produce it, but he didn't, he didn't want to, or didn't have the time to direct it himself. And uh, he showed it to Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks didn't have a ton of interest until somebody adapted the screenplay. And then when he read that, he really took to it because he is a father and has a, like four children. And I guess, you know, he knew it would be violent because it's like a mobster crime story, but also didn't want it to be something too gruesome because he knew that it had like a real message and heart to it. Mm. So... I mean, I think that they accomplished that goal of, you know, keeping it dark and serious, but at the same time, it's not like a, you know, a gore fest or something. Um, hmm. They did accomplish that. I'm not convinced that was the right call. Oh, really? Maybe. Do tell. Well, um, I feel like this happened the first time I watched it, and the second time as... This is the first one I rewatched for this episode, mm-hmm. and it's starting. I'm starting to like lose it in my mind again already. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I rem- I do remember. I mean, there's plenty to like about this movie. I mean, I just think 
I almost want to just say that maybe I could have used like one more action scene <laughs> or, yeah, you know, kind of like one of those like kind of nitpicky kind of things. It was, I don't remember how long it is. It, it's two hours anyways. Mm-hmm. It, it's. Well, if it you think that it's lacking in the action department already, let me blow your mind with this one. If you didn't hear this Please. or read about it yourself. So. In the beginning of the movie, the kid witnesses his father, like, gunning a couple guys down. I don't even know if you could call that an action scene. No. See, that like that scene I would have rather have seen. Yeah. I Well, I mean, I, I want to stay on this path, but I, I think it. it's kind of cool that you see it from the kid's point of view, so you don't really see a whole lot. But anyway, mm-hmm. like, that happens. There's the part where Tom Hanks comes back to town and guns down all of those mobster guys in the street. But then pretty much all the rest of the action revolves around um, the hitman character played by Jude Law that's after them. Right. Because there's like two or three little instances where they run into each other. Mm-hmm. That character, not in the comic, made up for the movie. Oh, wow. So like I am curious now, what is even in, what is the, what happens in the comic? <laughs> I would say a good call. Adding that to the movie. Yeah. I actually liked Jude Law a bit, quite a bit in this. Yeah, he's an interesting character. He does oddly, and I thought this even before I read that, he feels a little weirdly out of place. Yes. Like, he seems on a different level of quirk than everything else in the story. For, oh, for sure. Um, And there's something cool about that, that everybody else is like these, you know, kind of cut and dry mobsters. Mm-hmm. Um, And mm-hmm. then when they really need some work done, they call in the fucking weirdo. Which I do find very surprising that that's not in the book because he seems like such a odd character. Yeah, that it you know just assumed it would have come been an integral part of the story. I guess that's just the screenwriter David Self. Like, I mean, here's the thing: <laughs> I did a little reading on this guy because I'd never heard of him before. He apparently wrote something for the movie The Born Identity, but was uncredited. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, everything else he's done is horror. Uh, and aside from that and this, so it almost doesn't surprise me that the character he invented for the movie is some like weird, like serial killer. Oh. <laughs> um, because the only other movies that he has written to date, aside from something in the board identity and uh, Road to Perdition, are the remake of The Haunting, something called 13 Days. And then the Wolfman remake from 2010, which was oh, fucking atrocious. Your favorite. I hate that goddamn movie. <laughs> First movie I ever fell asleep during in the theater. Oh, wow. Really? Mm-hmm. That's another one I don't remember much. Yeah, it's because it's anything. a piece of shit. Sure. Anyways. So like I was saying, I mean, maybe it's just me kind of just being a little more thirsty for some more action. But um, I did really like... Jude Law. It was great, actually, great scene where they come across each other at the diner. Yeah, that was good. Nice and tense. I mean, I really liked that Jude Law. They play, you know, they made him as like some kind of like oddball weirdo rather than like you said, just another grisly old mobster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. Like his character, I I do like what he brings to the film, and I think it's interesting him with the photographs and everything, and it it really does feel like he's like some kind of twisted serial killer. But I feel like there's one or two things where they go a little too far with him. For example, the pointy fingernails. Sure. 
I feel like that's just going a little too far when everything else in the movie is so like normal and quote unquote serious. You know what that reminds me of? Um, you've seen Lawless. Yeah. N- another Prohibition era movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy Pierce is a lawman in that. Oh, right. They, is he a detective or an FBI agent or something? Uh, I think just a detective. I think he was just a like a big city Chicago detective or something. Yeah. Percy something maybe? Don't know. I uh, whatever. I, I but anyway. But he's he's super weird in that movie. Yeah, for sure. I do know what you're talking about. So that there's the two parallel to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just the movie in general. It's funny. Like I, I almost would say that I like that tone that they ended up on, where there's not a ton of action because it feels relatively realistic. Um, but with that said. I do kind of like what you were saying, feel that the movie's not super memorable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not that it's, again, not that it's bad. There's good performances. Um, the kid's a good, good child actor. Um, probably the first movie I saw. Um, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, who, after seeing him in that movie, you would never think in a million years that that guy would be James Bond. Ever. Sure. But as of right now, that this one would be like the earliest I can think of that I would have seen Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. And man, he's like a sickly looks. He looks older than he looks now in that movie. He just looks kind of rough. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, but he's like you know, that, he, like kind of ragged, like n- nervous, like. Yeah. He's, he's kind of a wreck. <laughs> yeah. But just not. Not that, you know, Bond-like is kind of dumb to say, but, you know, you just never would have guessed. Yeah. Like, oh, that guy's going to be James Bond someday. Yeah, never would have looked at him and even thought, like, oh, he's leading man material or anything. Yeah. But, I mean, he's in there. Paul Newman's in there. It is interesting that, like, almost everybody plays against type in this movie. Because, like, Tom Hanks is typically, like, the everyman. And then in this movie, like, you know, he turns out to be, in a manner of speaking, and it's that thing we were talking about before where it's like, the father who hasn't necessarily been a great father, but then like when he finally is forced to, or finds himself in a situation where he's like bonding with his kid, like he turns into a better father. He's revealed for like the good guy that he actually is at heart. But like Mm -hmm. for him to be this killer for hire. Yeah. um, is kind of interesting. And then Paul Newman, I mean, I don't have a full knowledge of his career, but, um, I think it's pretty unusual for him to play a villain. Yeah. Um, Cause he's normally like the likable guy, like in the hustler or Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance kid, like cracking jokes and everything. No, that's a good point. And then, um, I mean, Jude law, you know, he's, I, I don't feel like he has as set in stone, like a style of character that he's known for playing, but then like Daniel Craig is also more so like a tough guy or like a confident guy. And in this movie, he's playing that just like, Okay, no, it's a son of a bitch character that yeah, he's playing. No, that, that is an excellent point about everybody going against against the grain on this one. Yeah, I just feel I feel like for me because I mean they do it fits in the theme: fathers and sons, shitty dads, dead moms. Um, <laughs> this movie. That's what this know, episode should have been called: shitty dads, dead moms. <laughs> but I would have like again. I'm forgetting things, but. I, you know, how many scenes does the son see Tom Hanks, like, get into it with anyone? The initial one, 
that you see from his point of view. Yeah. And then maybe the very end. Um. Well, yeah, he doesn't really witness what happens in the diner. No, nope. he doesn't see the that one guy that was like hired. You know that he goes. Tom Hanks goes to see that one guy mm-hmm. in the office and to give him a note, and the note says, "Kill Tom Hanks." Yeah. So he's not. He doesn't see that. He's not there for that. Mm-hmm. He's outside in the car when uh, uh, Jude Law goes in to like ambush him in the off in the hotel room with yep. Billy Tucci. Yeah. So he doesn't really see that. Right. I would have, I think my, cause it's not like this movie, you know, I'm not the, I have to have like maniac action, you know, over the top, but I just feel like maybe that's what I would have liked to see like the son, like maybe have to witness it a little more, like what his dad was, mm-hmm. you know, but it, I mean, it, it still works in the end. Cause like the, the kind of the, the crux of it at the end is the son couldn't pull the trigger when it was his time to. Yeah. And it's like, even when they are on the lamb and like, they kind of are living a life of crime robbing, even if it is Robin hood style from the bad guys, Tom Hanks is always trying to keep his son away from the violence. Right. Which makes sense. I mean, it, it does work. Cause that's like the line at the end, how, you know, he wanted to keep his son pure and not, you know, not have him be a part of that life. Yeah. But that said, but, I, I wouldn't have minded if there was one moment where like, he just couldn't help, but, you know, some shit went down with his son yeah, around. I just feel like just because of the kind of the, I don't know how to say, like, I don't, I'm not calling it boring, but just it could have <laughs> used that one, that one bit in the middle there somewhere. Yeah. And it would have like feel been like kind of drastically changed it for me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, well-made movie looks good. I mean, yeah. You know, like we said, the actors and I mean, I like, I mean, that is I a hell of a cast. Movies. Yeah. It was hell of a cast. Do you know who the kid is? No. Uh, he went on to be in several things, but currently he is Superman on the Supergirl show. No way. Yeah, Tyler Hoechlin, yeah. something like that. Wow. He was also on like Teen Wolf, uh, the TV show. Um, How, what year did Road to Perdition come out? Oh, two. And I think he was 14 at the time they filmed. Oh, okay. Put him at third. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, I never would have guessed that ever. <laughs> Yeah, looking at a picture of him now and and having watched just watched the movie, you can definitely tell not that you would necessarily oh. know otherwise. Right. Um, tell me if oh. you agree with me here. Hit it. I think as a 14-year-old and maybe it's the character he was playing in this movie, he has a very slappable face. Yeah. Just that I don't I don't know if it's the character <laughs> he was playing or just him in general, but there were several times where I was like, man, I don't know how Tom Hanks doesn't, doesn't just haul off and you know, smack this kid. That's probably, you know, whoever the casting director was great. That probably is a factor, too, because he, he does need to play like a wholesome kid. Mm-hmm. And he, he does. And he's got the look. For I sure. mean, he is wholesome in in the manner of speaking that he's like uh, he's like ignorant to kind of the, the world that Tom Hanks lives in, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, he's, you know, kind of jerky at times too. Like I mean, of, of the two I mean, kids, he's the more like, I don't know if rambunctious is the right word, but he's like he's, the more, uh, rapscallion of the two. Yeah. I mean, that, that fits probably with the time and the age, his age mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, I would back up that he still, he still doesn't look like he doesn't come across as like a tough street kid or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think he. That, I could agree. Slappable face on that child. How do you feel about the um, the framing narration? Um, 
basically the kid in the beginning is narrating and talking about how he spent a limited amount of time with his father in like the winter of 1931 or whatever, which, I mean, I had seen the movie before. I did recall how it ended, but, um, that a gives away that the kid lives and B gives away that his father probably doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, of course I'm on the spot now. I can't think of any time where I'm like, oh, I'm glad this had a narration. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, historically, like quite famously, Blade that Runner. was like uh, taken out of Blade Runner because it was so bad. I mean, it's just. It is pretty bad too. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 there's no need for it in Road to Perdition. Mm-hmm. You know, like what is it? It's like, are you trying to set the, you know, set the stage that we're in the 30s? Well, yeah, we can tell. So I think it you know works I mean? in something like, um, like I don't remember specifically if these movies have narration. I know that one of them does at the end, but like something like The Sandlot or Stand By Me, like other films about childhood and like a childhood mm-hmm. experience where you have no reason to think at any point that one of the kids is going to die or that like their parents are going to die or something. But this one being about mobsters and everything. And it's just, uh, as I was watching it at the beginning, I was like, this feels like kind of a bad idea. (laughs) Maybe I'm like thinking about it too much, but that's not a bad point. I mean, still probably any movie I would like take, take it or leave it. I'd probably leave it, but it works in the Sandlot. Mm hmm. I mean, I go with you on that. Yeah, but I mean, movies but like yeah, maybe just this kind of movie. Like, there's work. a thing that can be added with narration in a type of movie like this, where it's like a period piece or whatever, where it just like adds to the nostalgia and it feels like, you know, you are looking back on something that someone remembers fondly or remembers specifically for a reason that you're about to watch in the movie or something. Mm-hmm. It's just that. Um, like normally those situations would be again like something fond that they would remember i feel but then in this movie and i mean i guess it is he's looking back fondly on like being able to spend the time with his dad but it at least insinuates that uh yeah no i like telegraphs what's going to happen kind of yeah it definitely does i mean i agree i mean it works in the end cuz i think the last line where he says about uh he makes some comment about not never having to like use the gun or mm-hmm. I see them using it there if they still could have done it any other way besides that. And I'd be happy with it. Yeah. I don't remember what age they said he was in the movie, but the movie was supposed to take place in 1931. Uh, so does that mean that he was a draft dodger in World War II if he never had to use a gun? Yeah, that's exactly what uh, there's probably no paperwork on him anyway, since uh, his entire family's <laughs> dead and wiped out by the mob. That's true. That's true. I mean, he became a who knows what he turned to do. Yeah. After that, a couple of quick other things before we move on. Um, oh, please. Uh, in addition to the already impressive cl- cast of Tom Hanks, Paul Newman, Jude Law, Daniel Craig, you also got a little Stanley Tucci in there. Mm, and always good. He's good. Um, Again, playing a little against type, maybe. I feel like Stanley Tucci is usually more like um, goofier characters. And in this, he's like the very stern, serious, like straightforward mob guy. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, he is versatile. But yeah, I think especially recent years, he's more of that like, yeah, I say goofy character actor. kind of. Like I feel like the character Dylan Baker plays. He's uh, the guy who was... um, in the, the hotel room scene who like lures uh, Tom Hanks in. 
yeah. And he plays kind of like this the whimpering, cowering, like kind of character. Like that's something I would expect Stanley Tucci to play more so, but I really like Stanley Tucci and his small role in this. Yeah, me too. Um but yeah, Dylan Baker, um, who would have been the lizard in the Sam Raimi movies if they ever got around to that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um and Jennifer Jason Lee, who I didn't even recognize. She's hardly in the movie though, as Tom oh, Hanks' God, wife. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean she's in like what one scene, maybe two? Two scenes? Yeah, just just the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't Packed think really cast. has many lives or many lines. I mean, that, that must have been coming off of like Sam Mendes coming off of American Beauty got that kind of cast for sure. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. He was the hot ticket. And then I'm not sure how this movie did, but I don't think it like blew the doors off the box office. And, no. Um, he actually hasn't done a lot. He did Jarhead, one or two other things, and then the, the James Bond movies, and that's about it. Which Bonds did he do? Skyfall and Spectre, the last two. Oh, okay. And one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is uh, this was Paul Newman's final on-screen performance in a feature film. Really? Yeah, after this, he did the voice of the one car in the first Cars movie. Mm-hmm. And um, he appeared on screen in a television miniseries and like a television adaptation of like a classic Broadway play or something. Mm -hmm. And he did narration for two other movies, but this was like the final time he appeared on screen in a theatrical movie. Oh, wow. I mean, I think he, he, he made it another like 10 years or 12 years after this came out or something like that. But uh, maybe, maybe not quite that long, but yeah, this was the last time you saw him in a theatrical film. Um, just a quick side note. Uh, Road to Perdition, budget of $80 million, Wow. P- pulled in $180 million domestically. Wow, so not bad. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. For O2? Mm-hmm. For O2, that's real good. Yeah, that's pretty darn good. So maybe just not like a, not very prevalent culturally. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't get the impression that a lot of people hold this movie dear, like near and dear no. to their hearts. And I do wonder if, like, it's one of those things where as I'm watching it, I'm really enjoying it. But after the fact, and I still I still don't know if I'm on the same page where I would want, like, more action or something in it. It just feels like it's a little forgettable when you're not in the midst of watching yeah, it. I mean, it, it does. And again, not, not so much, because all the action that's in it is believable, which is what I like. Mm-hmm. But it could have, you know, I don't need, like, a... Don't need another shootout where he dodges a hundred bullets and takes out fifteen goons. But yeah, you know, like I said, something else the sun could have been in the midst of. I think would have added a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say thinking back on it, that the biggest action scene was probably the hotel room, just because there's a fair amount of bullets fired. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. But I did really like certain scenes, like um, the one where he guns down Paul Newman and all those guys in the street, the way it's just mm-hmm. like he's hiding in the shadows, and then you just see like the the flash of his gun, oh, and yeah. they have that kind of slow-mo panning shot of all of the guys going down with all of the sound cut out and just the music. Like That's a very well-put-together yep. scene. Oh, yeah. And also, the one that you mentioned where he goes to see the guy and hands him the note. And the gun is hiding under the, uh, like that newspaper on his desk or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. That whole scene, I it's just like really, awesome. really good yeah. suspense and very well executed. Yep. 
Hell, same thing as the end. Like, you kind of see it coming just because it feels like everything's too good to be true. But uh, when you're looking through the window at Tom Hanks and you can't see Jude Law behind him, then you just kind of know it's coming. But that's a very well done scene as well. Yeah. I concur. And the kid kept the dog. And the kid kept the dog. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we move on to our third and final film for the episode? Yes. Let's. Uh, Real Steel from 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvin Barnes. I'm Deborah's husband. You know, Deborah really wants to adopt Max. Mm. And um, uh, I'm up for it. But um, 75 grand. $75,000? You're serious? Mm-hmm. The thing is, we're supposed to go to Italy this summer with my oldest friend and his wife, two months in Tuscany and all over. Oh, just a four-year, sounds nice. We'll be back in New York by the end of August. In August? A <clears throat> hundred. A hundred thousand? You heard me. You're crazy. Nearly as crazy as your wife. You tell her I just signed over that kid to the state of Texas. The way I see it, there's a real way everyone gets what they want here. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell your wife I'll only sign over custody to her if I get to spend the summer with the kid first. Okay? Just tell her how guilty she made me feel for being such a terrible absentee dad or how I want to make good with Junior and a little fatherly bonding whatnot. She'll buy it. You get to be the hero and everybody wins. Okay, but not a word about the money to Deborah, you understand? I understand. I'll give you 50 grand tonight when we drop off Max, and the other 50 when we get back in August and you deliver them to us in New York. Pleasure doing business with you. Directed by Sean Levy, the guy who gave us the Night at the Museum trilogy. Yep, and uh, currently is a head producer, I think, on Stranger Things. Oh, is he? Yeah, actually, I didn't learn this till after I rewatched Real Steel. And I went to see who directed this. I was like, Sean Levy, I don't know. And then I looked and I remembered I've seen this guy because he did some behind the scenes. Like, they did that on Netflix. It was kind of like the Talking Dead for oh, right. Stranger Things. I think, he was all over I that. I think I watched like 10 minutes of one of those. And those shows, I just... <sighs> It's not even that I dislike them. It's just when it's just everybody kind of like jerking off to the thing that they made. It's not even like like I love a behind the scenes featurette or documentary or something. But when it's just a panel Mm -hmm. of people sitting around and someone just pitching them softballs about like how great the show is, it makes me feel like antsy and uncomfortable. And I just I don't like watching that stuff. Well, Millsy, I will back you up because this is like the first I've never really watched Talking Dead. This is like the first time I kind of watched something like that. Yeah. And I re- probably won't again because I don't really like it. it. It feels uncomfortable and awkward. Yeah, it just and yeah, it makes me feel weird. I don't like the watching them. I can't yeah. explain it. It's a little I can't tell you specifics, but even this guy, like some of some of the stuff's kind of like cringy. Like they talk about things on set and like the kids are there and they have like weird reactions to like because it's like adults and kids. Yeah, it's just it's just odd. Yeah. It just it just feels awkward. Like I was like, "Oh, I don't want to watch any more of this kind of thing." Talking Dead was always the same way as well. It's like, you know, you, when you're 
when you're younger, at least this is how I felt. And like, you would stay up late and you'd watch like Letterman or something. And it would be like cool to see him interviewing celebrities and asking him questions and they'd tell interesting stories and he'd make jokes that you wouldn't necessarily understand. But then like the older you get, and especially now we're like, there have been evenings where I've seen a link on YouTube for like, Oh, there's, you know, Scarlett Johansson talking about Avengers and you click on it. And then before you know it, you've watched two hours of interviews of different people on like Conan and yep. you begin to realize like how fake and set up it all is. And they know, like, you know, from behind the scenes stuff, like, just in pop culture that like they decide what they're going to talk about beforehand. Oh, and yeah. it just feels like yeah. very fake. Like, I think that's partially why I'm not a big talk show guy. Like when Conan O'Brien like lost the tonight show or whatever, and everyone was like up in arms and Coco this and Coco that and like going to his live shows and everything. I just didn't really care because I'm not a big talk show kind of guy. Millsy, clearly we're on the same team. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same. I can't like, I find like I've seen plenty of stuff on, at least like Jimmy Fallon do like stupid human tricks. I've laughed at plenty of those, but mm-hmm. like I could never watch any of those weekly or nightly or whatever. Like, that's exactly true. Like some production assistant comes in and like pre-interviews these people and then they just go over those questions on the actual show. Like, yeah, it's just very forced and it's just, it's all commercials for whatever thing that person's pitching. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Yeah. The only way that it gets me is like I said, on YouTube, they can put like headers on things and they'll cut out like two minutes of an interview and it'll be like, Scarlett Johansson says why this is this and I'm like oh I'd like to hear that anecdote but Mm -hmm. anyway that that kind of stuff to circle back around to the Sean (laughs) Levy thing yeah I I don't even I don't know if I saw him on there but I watched a couple minutes of it and I was just like I can't watch any more of this so yeah he's all over it so I knew him from that I wasn't necessarily like knew what he was besides so I was coming back to real steel I was like oh it's that guy Mm -hmm. okay so at least he's he seems like he's been in the game for a while. He hasn't directed too much. Yeah. Yeah, the Night at the Museum movies, a couple other things. He's apparently lined up to maybe do the Uncharted movie or uh there's like a Starman remake he's working on. I kind of hope neither of those ever happen. Mhm. But uh Oh, I saw that about Starman, yeah. So learning that he's done the Night at the Museums, I can see him his stamp on real steel Mm -hmm. Um, well you you said you'd seen this before right correct what is your general feeling about the movie or like your impressions or um i liked it more when i first saw it Mm -hmm. um this time around i found a lot of things that i didn't care for yep i think some things some things i still liked i mean I mean, quickly, it's, it's, uh, I think it's sick from now. It's about, tw- I think, 2020 or 2024. Mm-hmm. So, like, the near ish future. Um, human boxing's outlawed. They make. Is it outlawed or is robots. it just, um, people got. I remember oh, Hugh Jackman I, oh, talking yeah, about, I like, say. people got bored with humans boxing and they wanted to see something Maybe more a, outrageous. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember, but it, there's no more. Human boxing's not the thing now. It's robot, you know, uh, rock'em sock'em style. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Where do we begin here, Mills? Well, let me go ahead and say my general impressions are. I I watched this on DVD back after it came out, and I really didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And then sitting down to watch it this time, it's one of those movies where, like, I really didn't like it when I saw it. 
And I was convinced, I was positive I would never watch it again. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, there's no reason I can imagine I would ever want to watch this again. Of course, back then, I didn't know that I would someday be doing a podcast called Triple Threat Theater so- with Joe Daxberger. Mm-hmm. But um, I think my impression of the movie now is that I, I might hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, I was so annoyed while watching it. Mm-hmm. That I I might have to make the distinction that I hate it. Let's we'll quickly say it's it's very much like over the top, mm-hmm. very much so. It's a sick mother dies, estranged father uh, comes back in the picture to have a relationship with the kid, and that turns into them uh, going on the road, mm-hmm. and then they eventually the father ends up. Deciding he loves the son and wants to keep him around because he. Um, I, I was thinking this, like so. Hugh Jackman, deadbeat dad, not around. The mother dies, so, like you say, he like comes back basically to. He's just ready to hand over custody of his kid to uh, mm-hmm. the kid's aunt and her rich husband, and then, like they end up. Long story short. Um, Hugh Jackman doesn't want the kid, but the the rich husband of the aunt is like, well, you know, we're happy to take him and raise him, and we have all the money and the means to do it, and it's probably a better life for him, but we're supposed to go on a two-month-long vacation with some friends to, like, Italy or something this summer, and, you know, I'm a uptight guy, and a kid would just get in the way, so would you take the kid for the summer and then bring him back to us at the end of the summer. And you know, that'll be that. And Hugh Jackman essentially sells the kid. (laughs) He's, Mm -hmm. he sells him for like 500 grand or something like that. Not even 50. Oh, is that it? It's a hundred grand, 50 now and 50 upon delivery. It's 50 grand in 2024. So who knows what that's (laughs) even like. Yeah. Um, and then, so Hugh Jackman is like stuck with the kid and, you know, Hugh Jackman is like a robot boxer, which we can get into that in a minute, what exactly that really fucking means. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he drives around with a robot and like, of course, it just so happens that Hugh Jackman is like this robot boxer and his son, who he's never really met, is a huge robot boxing fan and knows everything about robot boxing and is super into robot boxing. And like, it feels like they bond over that. And the only reason they ever come back together at the end even is because of robot boxing. And I was just thinking to myself, like, what if this kid was just like a a little, like, nebbish nerd? Like, right. the father would not love him at all because they would never get a chance to be together. Because, like, Hugh Jackman was ready to leave the kid with um, Evangeline Lilly. Uh, who's running like the right. boxing gym that he used to go to and is like kind of his love interest a little bit. And mm-hmm. if the kid hadn't been so like, I like robot boxing, I want to go with you because you're a robot boxer, then, you know, right? Then it the been movie been wouldn't have fucking happened. So like I was thinking about that. Like that's one of the reasons why like looking back at Over the Top and how I was saying that the tournament and the arm wrestling really has nothing to do with the plot of like the father son relationship. That's actually a positive in that case, because the relationship between the two of them, it's all about the fact that they like each other and they like love each other in this movie. 
it really feels like the only reason the father and the son get along is because they share one interest. And it kind sure. of demeans the whole like, hey, we love each other now. We've we've made up. Because if it wasn't for boxing, they wouldn't like each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. There'd be no. And let me tell you, they'd have no reason for each other besides like, you know, that they're family. But um, let's get right into it. Because I think I think I like Hugh Jackman in general, but I feel like in this movie, he was written to be like the worst of the worst asshole ever Mm -hmm. that it's like, at no point I felt like I was pulling for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he Um, does suck. (laughs) I mean, he sucks bad. I mean, at least in over the top, like, yeah, he's like a a, a dad that's not around, but he's not necessarily a bad guy. Yeah. Like in this movie, the first time you see Hugh Jackman, I believe is like he's at some little shitty like state fair because he's got like a crummy robot and the only gigs he can get is like these little podunk towns. And mm-hmm. he like he wakes up and he's like, you know, drinking and he's just like stumbling around like half drunk from the night before. And as he's walking around the inside of his trailer, you just hear what sounds like the entire floor is coated with glass bottles that he's they're clinking around. <laughs> And he's just that mm-hmm. kind of character. It's just like shorthand for this is a shitty dad. Yeah. Um, but then in over the top, like, yeah, uh, Stallone hasn't been around for his kid because of circumstances that are never really explained. But like mm-hmm. you said, the grandfather kind of got in the way of the relationship. Right. But he's not a fucking mess. You know, he's yeah. a truck driver, but like I mean, you're going to you look even down find on him just out- because he's isn't like a fucking investment banker or something. Right. Yeah. Like you find out, you know, Stallone's been writing letters to the kid his whole life. Yeah. And he's not the most successful dude in the world, but he's a good guy and he isn't like a fucking violent person or anything. But Mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman's character is just a fucking douche in this. Bad, bad. Like one of the worst examples I feel like of like, why is this a character I could ever care about? I yeah. think he, like at a point it's like he can never undo mm-hmm. his behavior. Especially when, like I said, if you really like, I don't think that the, the filmmakers expected people to look at it from this angle, but if you really step back and look at their relationship and realize that the only reason that they get along is because they're both into boxing, then it's like, he is just reprehensible and unlikable. Yeah, like he, he's only like, he kept the sun around so long to use him. Mm-hmm. And it still felt like that. I mean, it just, they don't, I think Hugh Jackman it can, is a good actor and like he can sell his role. It's just the role that was written for him was yeah too far gone. I'm not a big fan of him in this because it just feels like he doesn't have the best stuff to work with. And Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, the character sucks. Cool. Yeah, he just sucks. And, you know, uh, Maybe it's shitty to say, but man, I can't. I couldn't get behind this child actor at all. Yeah. Um, Not a big fan of him. He feels like he's a few steps away from uh, what's his name in um, uh, The Phantom Menace. Oh, definitely. <laughs> he's just Yo. a few steps away from Yippee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very much. It just is kind of, there's a couple scenes. I mean, there's one. There's just like a lot of corny stuff in this movie. The the dancing, I hated. Oh yeah, it just this that was terrible. His his, you know, he just he felt too much like a child commercials, like films commercials type actor. Mm-hmm. Like it just didn't feel sincere. It wasn't you know, it just wasn't a good. 
good pick all around. Not that that could have saved the movie, yeah. or, but it was just one more thing where uh, I just found it grating. Mm-hmm. I just found it just, you know, he was shrill. You know, <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah. very. Yeah, so the two main characters, not a big fan of. And then the focus of the movie, the fucking robot boxing. I just I have if they're like if Hugh Jackman and the kid were lovable and it was a case of like over the top where the vast majority of the story was the relationship and then the facade around it was just the boxing like that was just the means to an end. I I mm-hmm. might be able to look past how nonsensical everything about the fucking boxing and the robot technology is in this movie. Right. But it was just like, this is one of those movies where I feel like it it might play well to like 10, 12 year old boys, but it's just like too dumb. And I just could not, that's my big problem with the movie. Like my biggest issue is just the whole thing focuses around robot boxing and I just don't understand it. Um, It's too, it's too dumb. It's poorly explained. It's just like, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know if we, it's come up on the show. I like robots. Oh, I think that's that's I mean, putting it lightly. Right. I mean, this is like wheelhouse all day. So for me to trash it, it means something. Now, we can get into the look of it and effects later and everything. But yeah, man, I'll back you up quick. Like, I like about the movie, I like that it's like the, the near future. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's also could be seen as a crutch because it makes it easier to film a movie, I think, if you don't put it too far in the future because then you don't have to make too many Yeah, there's no, things. like, flying cars or anything like that. Really, yeah. the only futuristic thing about the movie is our crazy advanced robot technology. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, they do some, like, cell phones, like, little things. Yeah. But, yeah, for most part, it's the robots. I just wish it wasn't robot boxing. Like... If it was some kind of like, like futuristic version of like uh, battle bots or something, where it was like people mm-hmm. constructing crazy robots with different abilities and all that, I could see. But they have that line in the movie where Hugh Jackman explains that people were bored with normal boxing and they wanted something more extreme. But then they decide to make the robots look human. And they box pretty much the same way people do, just like, you know, they can do jabs a little faster because they have, like, pistons in their arms or something. But otherwise, like, I just hate the fact that the robots look like they are just motion captured from humans. Like, the way they stumble around after they get hit. Like, a robot wouldn't be, at least I don't perceive that a robot would be, like, you know, have that couple seconds of like confusion and lightheadedness after they get hit where they're stumbling around. It's either like it's a robot, it's a computer, so it's working or it's not. And like the Mm -hmm. stumbling and all that shit bothered me. And then just like within the world of robot boxing, you've got people who control the robots with like a little controller, like a video game controller kind of thing. And then you've got people who... Uh, have a robot that can like learn and fight for itself seemingly then you've got robots that are voice commanded then you've got robots that can do this like uh, um, shadow function where you can like punch and like shadow box and they will just follow your movements and do exactly what you do and in my mind it's like it seems like if this was like a legitimate sport, like, and there were that many different varieties, like there would be four different leagues. Like you wouldn't be able to put all of them against one another because it just doesn't make sense or seem fair. 
Right. And then in the end, mm-hmm. like, like they have this whole idea that their robot is the little robot c- that could because he's like scrawny and he wasn't meant for fighting. He was meant for sparring so he can take a lot of hits because he was basically a punching bag for the real robots. But like he is able to make it to the fucking finals just because like that episode of the Simpsons where Homer becomes a boxer and his whole thing is he just stands there cause he's got a thick fucking skull and he can get punched a billion times without falling over. And he just lets the other boxer tire himself out and then pushes them down. And that's how he wins. Like that's basically how the final fight is in this. There's never a sequence in the movie where they talk about how like f- there's these fuel cells that get diminished in a robot. But then the final fight scene, it's won because the big best robot that has never lost a fight before, it goes all these extra rounds and its fuel cells are just running out. But then the human guy who created it, the Asian dude, can jump in at the last minute when the fuel cell is failing and then manually control the robot. But if the fuel, the thing that's powering it, is what's wrong with it, why does him grabbing the sticks and controlling it manually mean that it's okay when it's out of fucking fuel? Just none of it makes sense to me, and right. it drives me insane. It's one of the, like, I've, and this could be, like, about any, like, technological aspect when you when they add things into movies like made up science, when you try to just sit down and think about it for a second, it falls apart quickly. Mm-hmm. But even like, yeah, like the joystick stuff, at least that, that just controlling a robot with a joystick makes more sense than like voice commanding a boxing robot. Yeah. In a stadium or whatever, like filled with people just, you know, he can only say like uppercut, you know, all right. All you ever see Hugh Jackman says is like left jab, uppercut, whatever. It's never like, step back twice you know move yeah. like it's none of that so it, it just, and when it he wants it to, so to evade and stuff like that he doesn't give it like okay left jab is a specific instruction he doesn't say like you know duck and like move out to the side he just like starts yelling into the headset like get out of there get out of the corner he's like right. is the robot intelligent and can interpret what he's saying or is it just yeah, literally see, doing what like, he says it's for, forget it you'll you'll never know they even which a kind of I think a part I liked more when I first saw it the first time, but it I feel like they kind of allude to their their robot Adam like having some kind of like some kind of AI yeah. or which is not really fully they, explored, which is also something else no, annoying never. about it. Which they should have, I think. I think it would have been more interesting, mm-hmm. way more interesting. No, hundred percent. But yeah, like you said, it basically in in the end, it just takes a lot of punches and lasts all the rounds and still loses, and, but it gets the respect or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're all made out of metal, but you see like that badass robot that they had that was like all Asian designed. He looked like a samurai and they talk yeah, about like, oh no man, one... he's won this and he's won that. And then in one round, in one fight, he gets one of his arms ripped off. But then their like little scrawny robot is just pummeled. By the other, like the the main robot at the end, like the big villain mm-hmm. robot, and Zeus, he doesn't seem to visibly have like men, much in the way of dents or anything on him, and just like you know, the little robot gets in some hits during the fight, but there's barely anything in the way of like paint scratches, and all of that stuff bothered me. And I'm not sure if it's because these are legitimate complaints or if it's just because I was so against the movie already that I just couldn't stop seeing the flaws. I mean, that's probably a little part of it, but it's fine. I mean, it makes sense. Right down to, like, one of my wildest nitpicks in this movie is, so at the end, um, Hugh Jackman's, like, voice command thing stops working, so they turn on the shadow function, where he is punching and, like, the robot is doing what he's doing. Now... 
earlier in the movie, when we see them doing this, it's literally mirrored. Like if Hugh Jackman punches with his right hand, the robot is facing him, so it punches with its left hand. So it's literally matching what he's doing in a mirrored capacity, which seems like it'd be confusing and hard to do in a real fight because you'd swing your right arm expecting its right arm to move, but it doesn't because it's mirrored. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but then does the robot have to be looking at him? Because there's no way that during the fight it's watching him all the time to do all these moves he's doing, A. B, if people want to see like crazy, like more extreme than normal boxing, if it's just literally doing what Hugh Jackman's doing, it's just normal boxing. There's nothing special about it. And yeah. C, like I mentioned, it's like mirroring him, so everything is the opposite of what he's actually doing, but there's that one like really cool shot where it's Hugh Jackman from behind on the side of the ring and he does this like jump punch where he like jumps in the air and he swings in slow motion and he punches the air and it shows the robot doing the same thing in the ring. And that one shot, the robot punches with the same arm as Hugh Jackman because they wanted to have the two of them like doing the same motion in the shot at the same Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, man, I just, I could go on about my fucking problems with this movie. (laughs) You can start tearing it apart for sure. I mean, one thing, too, um, I think because you can start tearing down, like, all those little things, and just it makes no sense. Even to introduce the voice act, the voice part, like, the voice control, just so it can, like, fail later, I feel like they should have just had him use a remote control instead mm-hmm. of introducing the f- talking part because it's just going to fail anyway and it doesn't make any sense. But then, too, like you said, then then it turns into shadow boxing. Yeah, I feel like, like they said, moved away watch. from the controller idea just because watching someone standing there, like, moving a controller around in their hands is less interesting than actually seeing the actor say something or shadow box. Sure, sure. But, I, I don't know, just really, just, there's too- one thing that I like about this movie, and that is Evangeline mm-hmm. Lilly. Yeah. And not because she's like the most amazing actress ever, but she's cute and her character is super lovable and likable. Yeah. I mean, I think I like I like her as an actress. I think um you know, she was great on Lost mm-hmm. and I th- I like her in this. I mean, I think yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know if she's like the top tier actress or whatever, but yeah, I think she's, you know, uh endearing has endearing qualities, so She's just not a piece she's of probably- shit in the movie. Yeah, I mean, she's a gen- she's one of the only good people in the whole movie. Like, if there's one thing I don't like about her in the movie, it's that she would stand by Hugh Jackman because he is yeah. such a piece of garbage. Right. There's a very, I mean, this this movie, the melodrama is cranked to 11, mm-hmm. be it from just the music in all scenes and then towards the end where it's like Hugh Jackman's fighting, she's crying, the kid's crying. They go back and forth, look at different people crying over and over and over during the fight. And it's just, it was just too much, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, even um, like the, no fault the of aunt hers. and the uh, the rich, like, um, husband of hers decide to go right. and they're in the audience at the end and they're like cheering and getting into it. Yep. You know, uh, one thing I wanted to say too about the, because uh, like you were saying how, you know, these are robots, but all they're doing is just fighting like people anyways mm-hmm. um it, it would have been a better an easier fix to just say that like human boxing was outlawed for like medical or reasons or whatever yeah. and then i could you could buy robot boxing that's just robots doing the same thing mm-hmm. 
versus like the BattleBots idea. But no, they don't even do that. They just say like people wanted more. Yeah. But you know, like would people people I think would still rather see humans duke it out. Yeah, I I think so. That's as why well. people are like would be into battle bots now because they're going to do weird shit, pull out flamethrowers yeah. and chainsaws. Or whatever. And another thing that just logistically annoyed the shit out of me that I probably shouldn't have been thinking about is like, I've watched battle bots and they always fight inside of a fucking cage because when there's metal things like blasting pieces of each other off, that's dangerous. Yeah. But in this, they're still just fighting in a fucking ring. And the ropes on the ring look like they're made out of like something stronger than just like rubber and padding or whatever. But mm-hmm. still, like there should like if there's chunks flying off of them cuz you see robots just like torn apart like they're butter earlier in the movie, just not in that final scene. Like right. that seems like it'd be completely dangerous and it's just Another dumb thing that I couldn't let go of while I was watching it, how illogical it all was. Yeah. I gotta go with you, Milzy. I mean, this this is uh you know, a modern uh mystery science theater. Oh movie. yeah. I sure. Rift Tracks has probably done an episode on it if I had to guess, mm. but because it's just it it and like I said, dude, I love robots. There's a couple robots I like in this movie. Noisy Boy is that one that looks like a samurai. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's cool. I, I love in the movie, I love, I think the effects look great. I mean, it got nominated for an Oscar for visual effects. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's deserving. Don't get me wrong. I think textures and stuff a, look pretty good. I It does just bother me that the robots move just like people. It, it's a little too floaty. Sure, it was, and, yeah, it was, it was mocap, but I like it still. It looked good, and they built practical robots for all the scenes where they're not moving. Mm-hmm. Well, I I gotta like you know I'm gonna like that anytime. Oh sure, you know, I I respect cool. that as well. But so I do I do respect some uh, decisions made on that, and um I think Adam is cool looking for what he is. Mm-hmm. I don't like that he's like his face is damaged in such a way that looks like he's got like a grin or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like that. But there's a couple robot designs that I'm a fan of that I yeah you know, I like that I jump across robot. them in like a, a I like that? the junk robot in the zoo scene that the crazy punk mohawk yeah. guy is fighting yep. with it's like cobbled together from other robots yeah. if i ever come across like toys in a bin somewhere for a couple bucks i'd pick up a, probably a couple of these for the jack's pacific did make toys from this movie oh yeah no i've seen them so this is one of those i wouldn't pay crazy money but you yeah. know i'd have a couple one or two of those just because but i don't want anything to do with this movie in my house well. but uh <laughs> Yeah. Um, one final thing I'd like to talk about with this movie is I want to play a little game with you. Oh, please. Called How Many Actors in This Movie Have Been Superheroes in Other Films? And let's see how many you can get. Okay. So we got Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. Wolverine. We've got, we've got the guy that played Blob. Yep. That's one. He's uh, Kevin Durand. Is. He was in everything for a couple of years there. He was in Lost... 310 to Yuma, X-Men oh. Origins, uh, oh, yeah. the Ridley Scott Robin Hood movie. Oh, wow. Go ahead, Millie. Go ahead. <laughs> um, Evangeline Lilly. Mm-hmm. Wasp. The Wasp. Uh, Anthony Mackie, always good. Mm-hmm. Falcon. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me see. Let me see. Those are the four that I knew. Okay. Doing research on this movie, I discovered one more <laughs> that Only- I never would have guessed. I don't think it counts, but I'm pretty sure the aunt is Tony Stark's mom. 
in Civil War. You may be right. I'm not sure, I don't but think that, she's I don't, not a I don't, superhero. Yeah, that doesn't count, but I just know that's one thing I picked out because I was still like, oh, look at all these superhero people. And then I was like, oh, her too. Give me a second. Let me just try and think. Compelling radio here. <laughs> um, it is just funny to think like how many of these fucking people. Like, it, You can almost do like six, degree, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but with like superheroes these days. Seriously. And there's so many people that have played multiple superheroes in movies now. Uh, I won't get it. Give it to you. You definitely won't get it. I never would have. But I discovered okay. looking this up that the kid yeah. uh, in the movie, his name is Dakota Goyo. <laughs> okay. He played young Thor in the first Thor movie, oh, which Lord. I never could imagine because the kid yeah. is just such a little turd in this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good to know. But yeah. Five five uh, Marvel superheroes in this movie, mm. which is pretty Not interesting. Bad. More and more of that goes on for sure. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, um, I remember that back when this movie was coming out, there was all this talk of Dan Gilroy this, Dan Gilroy that, that he was writing the script. Um, Mm -hmm. And back then I had no idea who he is. I wouldn't really know who he was until years later. Dan Gilroy doesn't have a credited writing credit on this movie. Um, The actual writer is a guy named John Gattins, who's written a bunch of other shit that I don't like. Uh, mm-hmm. but Dan Gilroy, who was the one who was originally like trying to get this movie off the ground is the guy who wrote and directed Nightcrawler. Oh, really? So I'm glad oh. that he is distanced from this movie <laughs> Yeah, wow. and didn't really have a credit on it. I mean, don't get me wrong in a lot would have to change a lot, <laughs> but there could have been a decent kid robot smash em up movie. Sure. Here. No, I don't disagree. But there's a lot went well, a lot went wrong. Yeah, this they just did about everything wrong that you could possibly could in this. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer. Yeah. So uh, that so, brings us to the inevitable moment. It does. Uh, I'll go first this time because I thought about it, and I'm pretty sure I know how I'm going to go here. All right, hit it. Uh, I'm obviously going to burn the shit out of Real Steel. Yes. Every copy of that movie is burned. <laughs> Um, I'm going to buy Road to Perdition. I'm going to borrow Over the Top. Over the Top is the more fun movie, but I really do feel like what I was saying about, like, while I was watching Road to Perdition, I was like, man, this is really good. It deserves more credit. And it's true that Over the Top, with its over-the-top nature, (laughs) is, like, the more memorable film. But Road to Perdition, I just think, is, like, such a more solid movie with like a, you know, really good story and hell of a cast. Like we talked about and it's filmed really well. And, um, mm-hmm. I think it's the, it's the better movie for me. So Milzy, we were close this time. <laughs> I had a feeling it still wouldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, your real steel's getting burnt. Unfortunately, r- r- robots to the scene, you know, packed to the rafters, but still I'm burning it. We're like fucking Sigourney Weaver and Chappie here. Burn it to ash. <laughs> um, I'm borrow Road to Perdition and buy uh, Over the Top. Yeah, and it's strictly it's it's right in our like our parameter. I would rewatch Over the Top over Road to Perdition. <laughs> I almost feel like I would rewatch Road to Perdition over Over the Top because I'll forget more forget. about Road to Perdition and need to revisit it, which sounds bad, but 
It does. But it's honest. Yeah. Well, that's the best we can do here at Triple Threat. Seven seven times in a row we have mm. not matched. Will we ever match? We got, we got 100, 100 plus more tries. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. How long will it take? It'll be even more amazing just to see what finally is it. Yeah. No, I can't wait. I can't wait to find out. But, hey, we can find out what we're going to watch next. No, please. So uh, hit that random number generator and let's see where we land. Coming in hot. 31. 31. All right. So the theme for (laughs) next episode is maxploitation. What does that mean? It means we're going to have to dig deep to find copies of these movies. <laughs> I have copies of all of them. Oh, all right. We'll um, talk. <laughs> you'll have to see what you've got. But right. this, this is going to be interesting. Very. So. All right, let's, let's get after it. <laughs> I'm, I'm both excited for and terrified by this next episode at yeah. the same time. High five on that one. <laughs> well uh, that's it for episode 7 of Triple Threat Theater join us again next time to find out what maxploitation is and mm-hmm. uh, until then I remain Ryan Miller I'm Joe Daxberger thanks for listening thanks for watching <laughs>